It's Wednesday, September 11th, which means we got football tomorrow night and another Thursday night showdown slate on DraftKings. I'm looking at a three-headed monster in the Tampa Bay backfield as they face off against the Carolina Panthers in Carolina, and I am considering a 100% play on a Tampa Bay running back. We'll get to that shortly. Also, Cam and Jameis Winston combined for just over 17 total fantasy points in week one. So many missed passes, so many interceptions. Are we going to see a turnaround or are we going to see another dismal performance from these two? And what are their ownership percentages going to be in this showdown slate? And then finally, can anyone outscore Christian McCaffrey in this game? And even if they can't, should he be your captain? We'll get to all of this in more coming up on the Thursday Showdown Slate podcast episode. I'm your host, Josh Crawford, a.k.a. A. Ivanovich, a.k.a. The Gambler, and you are in the Gamble Pod. All right, to run down what we're going to move through today, we're going to break down the this Thursday Showdown Slate by going through the salaries of all of the players that I feel are potentially in play, potentially can make a winning lineup. Um, we're also going to do a brief recap on last week's main showdown slates because I think we can d- draw some interesting insights from those. And then, of course, we're going to finish it out with some live roster construction while we move through and feel out this this Thursday night game. Um, before we get started, what we're talking about, of course, is the DraftKings Thursday night showdown slate. They have their $10 tournament where you can enter up to 150 lineups. That has a $250,000 first prize. Also, one of the things that I recommend, especially if you're playing volume, is play the $3 that has 20 max lineups and the $1 20 max because these are a good way to even out your variance. I always throw, um, I always max those tournaments out no matter what else I'm playing because they're a little less top heavy. They're going to even out your variance. Um, and it's just a way to get more lineups in. I mean, the simple fact is you can build thousands of reasonable lineups in these, and you're just going to get to the end. Even if you're maxing out the 150, you're going to get to the end of it and say, ah, there's a few more I want to put in. So jump in the 3 and the $1. Actually, that's usually where I start because that helps me get a feel for what I'm going to be doing in, in this slate before I get on to the, to the main event. Um, so let us get into the players for the week, and right up at the top... Um, we're looking at Christian McCaffrey. Um, his salary is 12400 which means he goes for 18600 in the captain spot. Out of your total 50000 salary, this is a big price to pay. And like I mentioned, it's going to be tough to see another player outperforming Christian McCaffrey in this game. Um, he put up 45.9 fantasy points. DraftKings fantasy points in in game one against the Rams, and I think they're going to lean on him heavily. Um, he's clearly a focal point, uh, the focal point of the offense. He's he he's the reason they're going to win games this year, and there's no reason to go away from him against the Tampa Bay defense that he should absolutely shred. Now, the one thing that we're considering, the one thing that we have to keep in mind is because of his price. Does Christian McCaffrey block you out from getting some of these other mid to high end players who may put up scores that you need in your lineup? So, for example, if Christian McCaffrey puts up 45.9 points, it doesn't matter. If you don't have him in your captain spot, you're probably not going to win unless some crazy stuff happens. However, 
if he puts up something more like 24 points or 27 points, then we could see a game, especially if this game, which Vegas has as a seven point, uh, they have Carolina as a seven point favorite at home and a 49 point over under. So they expect some points. If we see a back and forth game where uh, lots of these mid to higher range players are actually getting getting uh, receptions, getting touchdowns, putting up scores in the 19, 20, 23, 24 range, do we miss out on the winning lineup because we paid too much for McCaffrey in the captain spot? That's the question uh, that we're going to try to answer during live lineup building. Um, and one of the things we're going to be looking at, you know, I expect McCaffrey to probably be owned at about 85 to 90% in this. Um, I, like I said, I'm going to own him probably at a hundred percent. Um, however, you may, one way to get a little bit different to differentiate from what the rest of the field is doing is if McCaffrey is only owned at, let's say 40%, 40% or 50% in the captain spot, you can differentiate by going 100% in the captain spot, or you can differentiate by going 0% in the captain spot. So you still have to do further differentiation from there. But these are some things that we're going to try to work through as we break down this slate. Um, next up, we got the the two quarterbacks, Cam and Jameis. Cam comes in at 11,000, Jameis at 10,400. Um, you know, as I as I said, these guys performed terribly in game one, and they looked terrible. It wasn't just bad fantasy performances that that um, <clears throat> you expect to turn around. Um, Cam was missing open receivers all over the field. Uh, Jameis ha- got absolutely destroyed in the pocket over and over again. I mean, he true as the pocket collapses, he truly does not know what to do with the ball. He doesn't know how to throw it away. Uh, he, he either holds on to it and takes the sack, or he continues to look down the field and and eventually throw it to an opposing uh, opposing team's player um so they both of these guys underperformed in week one now your novice players who played the first week of of showdown slates who maybe are playing showdown slates for the first time and they realize oh i don't necessarily have to play one or both quarterbacks in the showdown slate to in order to win i'm thinking that the um ownership percentage on both cam and Jameis is going to be a little bit lower than what you'd expect i wouldn't be surprised especially with people everyone trying to get mccaffrey into their lineups if this pulls back from what you'd normally see as like a 40 to 55 percent quarterback ownership percentage if this pulls back to something more like 30 let's say 30 to 40 percent for cam and 27 to 40 percent for Jameis um and in a game that that you know the the narrative should be points get on the board um I think that's a little bit low for the quarterbacks so I think we should be considering um mixing a little bit more Cam and Jameis in than the field um in in reasonable ways um and and maybe uh, we'll, we'll talk during live lineup building about ways to get unique. But maybe both Cam and Jameis in a lineup is is brings you some some differentiation from the field that people aren't necessarily going to do. Um, so then so then we get into this little pocket of wide receivers. You got your wide receiver one and two for both Tampa Bay and Carolina coming in here. We got Mike Evans at ninety six hundred, Chris Godwin at eighty six hundred. Then you got DJ Moore at eight thousand and Curtis Samuel at seven thousand. You really can make a case for any of these four um, being the top wide receiver um, 
uh, for the for the game. Um, and it's it I would say it's fairly evenly split. Obviously, Mike Evans is the one that we would most expect to do it. Um, but people are and people are going to look at his fantasy production from week one where he only produced 4.8 DraftKings points, PPR points. Um, he had two receptions on five targets for 28 yards. However, remember, he did have Richard Sherman on him for most of this game. Um, and Sherman made some big plays. Um, it broke up a few passes. <clears throat> um, so I think um, I think maybe the public pulls back from Mike Evans just a little bit, in part because of the price is is rather high, and with everybody pushing McCaffrey in, he might be a little bit more difficult to get to, and because he's coming off of uh, what looked like a bad game, but he should have an easier time against Carolina, assuming Jameis can actually put the ball in a reasonable place. Um, Chris Godwin played 64 out of 70 offensive snaps for the Carolina Panthers. So I guess, or I'm sorry, for the Tampa Bay Bucks. So I guess Bruce Arians wasn't lying when he said this guy might never come off the field. He had three receptions on six targets for 53 yards and a touchdown. This is exactly the sort of game that you want if you if you're slotting Chris Godwin into a showdown slate. You know something he put up 14.3 points somewhere between 14 and 20 points is probably going to put him in the winning lineup. Um, <clears throat> and I think that you know there'll be exactly what you'd expect from Chris Godwin, which is 40 percent to 50 percent ownership, 10 to 13 percent in the captain spot. Um, and that's probably pretty close to what I'll have as well. Um, I don't think this is a place where we're, we're we're not looking to fade any of these four wide receivers or go 100% on them. I just think it's completely unpredictable what happens here. But I also don't expect these guys to be the make or break guys. Yes, you will need one or two or three of them in your final lineup. But I don't, I don't see a way personally to predict which ones they are. The things we know... <clears throat> or we think we know are that Mike Evans might be the one with the lower ownership than his skill level would dictate. And that Curtis Samuel might be the one with the highest ownership um, because of his low price and people trying to think they're getting a little bit unique, but really just playing into that off season hype for Curtis Samuel. Um, so let's break down those two DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. Um, DJ Moore at 8,000. He put up 13.6 fantasy points last game to Curtis Samuel's 6.2. But if you you watch that game, you realize they're both very much in play. They both played essentially the same number of snaps. Um, For me, I expect DJ Moore to be the target guy. Um, I expect him to... I think in this Carolina offense, I see the pecking order as this. Christian McCaffrey is the number one option, offensive option, both both through the air and on the ground and definitely combined. Greg Olson, actually, based on what we saw in game one, is probably the number two option. He was highly involved in the beginning. I think he's a big part of this offense if he's healthy. However, he's dealing with a back issue. And of course, he's got that long-term foot thing that I think could reappear at any moment. Um, supposedly, he's fully healthy from that, but who knows? Um, and then... You have DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. DJ Moore is your target guy. Um, he has big play potential, but I expect him to have a lot of stat lines like five for eight, five receptions on eight targets for 70 yards. And whether he gets a touchdown or not that week might dictate whether he has value or not. Curtis Samuel, 
is more of your big play threat. He's going to run the ball a few times. He's going to have some games where he strikes out. He's going to get targets. It's not like last year where like he was getting three targets a game. I think you're going to see him get a consistent five to seven targets a game. But his targets, they're low value until he breaks one. He does these crossing routes across the middle of the field. Or he takes handoff, handoff or pitch out of the backfield. When he gets in open space, he is dangerous, dangerous, dangerous. Um, I think we'll see Curtis Samuel go to the house on some of these these um, crossing routes across the middle of the field a couple times this year. So there's your big play upside. Um, what that means in the scope of this showdown slate, I don't really know. But um, maybe what it means is that if you're just expecting um, um, you know, an average game, that DJ Moore might be more your guy. Um, so then we get into, uh, we get down to OJ Howard at 6,600 tight end for Tampa Bay. And I'm going to drop all the way down to 4,000 as well, where we have Cameron Bray. Um, so OJ Howard in, we know Jameis Winston uses the tight end fairly regularly more than most quarterbacks he's very comfortable throwing to the tight end and in part it it goes back to what I said he just doesn't know when to throw the ball away so he the pocket is collapsing on him he needs to get rid of the ball he's much more likely to he's not going to throw it out of bounds or over somebody's head a safe ball he's going to squeeze it into those tight ends he and he does that especially in the red zone Um, the last few years that's been great but obviously OJ Howard is the guy now however Howard had 55 offensive snaps in this game. Cameron Brait still had 31. And while O.J. Howard got more looks and on, on paper had the better stat line, I'll pull up his receptions and targets. He, he put up 6.2 fantasy points. Let's see, it was on uh, four receptions on five targets for 32 yards. I mean, that could easily be four, uh, um, four, four receptions on five targets for 32 yards and a touchdown. And his 6.2 points turns into 12.2 and that looks like a much different game but the um thing not to uh forget about here is that Bray still was out there even though Bray only put up 2.8 fantasy points which was one reception on one target for 18 yards what's missing from that box score is that Bray scored a touchdown that got called back uh for an offensive penalty and Bray got another uh had another catch that was called back on an offensive penalty so Cameron Bray is in play don't forget about him on on this showdown slate where we need to get more unique um if I'm to predict ownership percentages here boy it's a little tough um I think I think I'll go with OJ Howard I'll I'll put at 40 percent um and Bray I'm gonna put at more like 20 22%. 22%. So this is this is a place where we can look. We know Jameis loves him and and Cam Brate um can definitely score touchdowns. In fact, that might be all he does is just catch two balls and one of them's a touchdown. Um but that might be all we need in a showdown slate. Um so the um this is where let me take let me take a quick break before we go on. This is to go back to Christian McCaffrey as the um, as the captain, um, playing him at a hundred percent, playing him in the captain spot where we have everybody's going to be on him. Um, can we can we fade him even if he's going to be the top producer in this game? Um, can we fade him in the captain spot? And what you want to look at is the 
are the rest of the players, are we going to be able to get in a lot of these mid-range guys who maybe produce very similar point totals, but we would have been missing out on one of them if we put McCaffrey in the captain spot. And in a guy like O.J. Howard, who who can go off, like O.J. Howard can easily put up 20-plus uh, fantasy points in this game. Um, do Maybe we put him in the captain spot, and that allows us to get Mike Evans as well and Jameis. So now we have a, a Jameis, Mike Evans, O.J. Howard stack, and yes, they all scored 20 to 24 points, and Christian McCaffrey put up 27, the most on the slate. However... By putting O.J. Howard in our captain slot, we were actually able to squeeze Christian McCaffrey in. So this is this is the as I work through this slate, um, both during this show and and after this show, um, what I am really going to be strongly considering is how much Christian McCaffrey am I going to be using in the captain slot. Um, because I just don't see a case for fading him entirely on this slate. So now I have to decide, do I want to be behind what the field is playing him in the captain spot or way ahead and put him at like 100% in the captain spot? So we'll work that through as we continue to go down the list here. Um, <clears throat> now we get into after um, O.J. Howard, we have Greg Olson, who I mentioned. I think he's one of the focal points of this of this offense. Um I think the wide receivers are third and fourth options behind him and McCaffrey. Um, the, his price is somewhat depressed, sixty two hundred. This is this is low for a guy who I think could be get the most targets if he's actually healthy. But he does have that nice questionable tag next to him, and that is something that hopefully can help depress ownership percentage. If we want to play some Greg Olson. Um, and, and we can try to get above the, the field in ownership percentage. Um, and we might be able to do that because of the questionable tag, but you do have to be careful here. Obviously monitor your inactives leading up to the game and have a pivot ready, ready to go. Um, maybe a lot of people don't want to deal with that question mark and they either go up just a little bit to OJ Howard at 6,600 or Curtis Samuel at 7,000. I think a lot of money is going to go to Curtis Samuel or they go down just a little bit and they play the Peyton Barber at 5,400 or Ronald Jones at 5,000. Um, so, so Greg Olson might be a guy that where we can, we can get a little bit different than the field, uh, to move on to those Tampa Bay running backs, Barber and Jones, 5,400 and 5,000. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to bring in our guy, Dare Ogumbo. Ogumbawale as well at 2,400. If you watch Tampa Bay's first game against San Francisco, all three of these guys were involved. Uh, Peyton Barber got a lot of the early work. Um, it looked like he was the the lead number one back. Um, but as the game progressed, Ronald Jones was getting more and more work. And it finished off with uh, Dare being one of the top producers, um, getting a lot of receptions, both in the two-minute drill and on third downs. Um, and in, in these crucial, crucial pass catching situations. So to break down the, um, the offensive snaps here, um, Dare actually got the most offensive snaps at 27. Um, a lot of it was on that two minute drill. He was four for five, uh, four reception. He had no carries. He had four receptions on five targets for 33 yards. Now that's not great, but he actually looked okay. He was, he was another safety valve for Jameis. And in a game, um, coming off that game in the short week here in a game where, uh, Tampa Bay expects to be trailing Carolina. I think Dare could be a really 
strong play. Um, Peyton Barber had 25 offensive snaps and Ronald Jones had 22. And the narrative coming out of the first game is that Peyton Barber lost the job to Ronald Jones. I didn't really see it. I like what I saw from Ronald Jones. I think he does overtake Peyton Barber at some point this year, but I'm not sure that that's going to happen week two. Ronald Jones is a nice, strong downhill runner. Um, he he uh, had no receptions. He um, carried the ball, let's see, 13 times for 75 yards. I'm sorry, he did have one reception on one target for 18 yards as well. So you got good production out of him, but Peyton Barber was the one who was in the game to, to start things off. And, and Barber had a, a, a modest um, balanced line of eight attempts for 33 yards. He also had two receptions on four targets for 12 yards. So um, they can all eat into each other. Now, I said I was considering 100% play on one of these backs. And my guy is Dare, um, for exactly the reason I said. I expect Tampa Bay to be trailing in this game. Unfortunately, I think that the cat's out of the bag. And um, a lot of the money is going to go to Dare. Um, and some of that money, especially with Christian McCaffrey up at the top, especially with McCaffrey eating up 18600 of your overall salary, plugging in that 2400 from a pass catcher who's going to be pass catching back who should be trailing is an easy play to make. Um, it's not going to be unique. So one of the ways in, in, in a slate like this, one of the things we think about is not so much when we know that somebody's going to be chalk and let me throw some percentages out there i think dare might be owned at let's say 30 to 40 percent because of his price and because he showed just enough in game one to be relevant um he he's going to have 10 to 13 percent captain share um so one of the things you can do it doesn't make you unique but you can you can actually go chalkier than the chalk um if he's owned at 40 percent you could own him at 100%, and that's what I'm considering doing here. You can even own him at 100% and own him 30% in the captain spot, be three times as you uh, as chalky there. Um, these are options. Now, I'm not 100% on – well, I, I haven't decided on this, but I am considering 100% Dare um, because – I think that what we saw in game one is something that Arians and the Tampa Bay offense is going to key on, which is Jameis is out of his element right now. Let's just load him up with nice short area targets to tight ends and check downs to running backs and see if we can um, keep him from just throwing the ball to the other team um, or taking sack after sack after sack. So, Whereas Dare got five, had five receptions mostly in on predictable downs. I think we might see that that role expanded out um, in this game, uh, especially as the Panthers bring pressure. Um, so, with that being said, whenever whenever the narrative is going that direction, we're considering playing the chalk. We should also be considering playing the guy that nobody wants, and that's Peyton Barber. Like I said, I don't think he's lost the job yet. And if he's the lowest own out of these three backs, and he probably will be, in part because he's the highest price and in part because he's just so unsexy to take Peyton Barber, uh, that's something that we should consider. So I'm going to be mixing and matching a lot of these guys. And as another way to get to differentiate from the field, I may be stacking some of them in, a, in like a Barber Ronald Jones stacks that people don't want to play because they don't see the game script going that direction. All right. 
Let's move down the salaries here. We're going to get into a couple interesting pass catchers, one from each team. We got Brashad Perryman for Tampa Bay um, and Jarius Wright for uh, Carolina. They're at 4,600 and 4,400 respectively. And these are not names that are well known. These are not people that were drafted in best balls or in seasonal leagues. And they haven't really produced at the NFL level yet. So, with those factors, lead to a lower ownership percentage. And we like that. Um, however, the need to save money here because of McCaffrey in the captain spot is going to push people down into this range. Now, are they going to gravitate to the guys that they drafted in their seasonal leagues, the Peyton Barber and the Ronald Jones? Or are they going to gravitate to the kickers and defenses here? Maybe. It's certainly certainly a fair, fair number of them. But people are going to look and they'll look up and they'll say, oh, um, Brashad Perriman had two receptions on five targets. A guy who could get five targets in a game can be a, a showdown slate winner. Yeah, I'll play him. And same same with Jarius Wright, 2.4 um, fantasy points in his uh, first game of the season. Let me get his stat line here. It was one, one reception on one target for 14 yards. Um, now, here's what I'll say about them. I'm going to have a lot more Brashad Perriman than the field. I expect him to be owned at maybe... 17 to 22 percent um i'm gonna have more than that he had 45 offensive snaps for tampa bay um he was the clear number three wide receiver on this team and he did get the five targets but it wasn't just the five targets you look at the stat line you see five targets that's nice these were high quality targets this was not throwaway stuff he was involved they were trying to break big plays for him and they were looking for him on key downs so i think there's a trust in brashad perriman um either from the coaching staff or Jameis or both that makes him relevant now some of this we do have to factor in that mike evans did have Richard Sherman all over him, and maybe that's what opened Brashad Perryman up. But anybody who's out there for 45 offensive snaps and getting five targets and who might be ignored on this slate, I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking at. So I probably will be playing somewhere like 30 to 40 Brashad Perryman, 30 to 40 percent. Um and especially in my my um you know, when when there's more obvious choices around him, when you could still um, pay for Peyton Barber or Ronald Jones, because I think people are going to more naturally go there. Jarius Wright is another one. Um, now, both of these guys, they're like the fifth and the sixth option in each of their offenses. So, yes, they can put up 12 points, and that can be wi- a, a winning score in a showdown slate, but they're more likely to do what they did last game, which is 2.4 and 3 points. However, Jarius Wright, again, he got 60 offensive snaps. Um, The next wide receiver after him on the Carolina Panthers was Chris Hogan at five total snaps. So Jarius Wright is in play, and he he made plays last year. Jarius Wright has been in this offense. He has a rapport with Cam Newton. Um, He's he's come up with DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. These guys all play together. They know what they're doing out there. I expect Jarius Wright to be a relevant producer throughout this year um, in, in these, um, shorter slates. So keep an eye on him. Um, he's another guy that, that we can look at now moving down. I'll move quickly through. You got the Panthers at 4,200. Definitely. We can play Panthers. We have no problem with that. Jameis looked horrible. I wouldn't be surprised if they sacked Jameis seven times and intercept him three times. I mean, there's just, if you told me right now that that that's what's going to happen, 
I wouldn't be surprised at all. Um, you got Cameron Braid at four thousand. I talked about I talked about him. I'm going to be all over some Cameron Braid. Um, I think that he is a he's going to get a little bit overlooked. Um, people don't want to play the second tight end, but he has the touchdown upside to be relevant. Um, you got Ian Thomas at thirty eight hundred for Carolina tight end for Carolina. Now. I don't expect to play him at all, but you can make a case for playing him. Um, one, sometimes it's just good to play a backup tight end who can catch a touchdown even when the first tight end is in there, um, especially when it's a guy like Ian Thomas um, who who um, who no one wants to play when Greg Olson is playing. Number two, obviously Greg Olson could just walk off the field after the first series and and be done. And then Ian Thomas might be a focal point in this offense. Um, Cam did not look great throw. I mean, he missed so many wide open passes down the field that they better try to shorten up his, um, you know, use these these safer, shorter passes uh, to tight ends and running backs a lot more. So Ian Thomas, if Greg Olson is out, I mean, if he's out, I'm not playing him at all. I want I want none of him because the ownership will be too high. Um if he's if Greg Olson is in, I might have a little bit of him as I run down through my through my stacks through my core lineups just just because um, it'll be a way to be unique. Um, so then we got the Bucks defense at thirty six hundred. Um, I mean, I'm not playing it except when I'm move, moving through my core um, and and building like ten lineups around the same core. I'll put them in. You got your kickers. Um, the kicker kicker is really interesting in these showdown slates. So Joe, Joey Sly at 3,400 for Carolina, Matt Gay at 3,200 for Tampa Bay. Um, one, I want, I always try to consider going 0% kicker um, because so much of the field goes there in order to try to get those last like easy 10 points, 12 points um, that I feel that the ownership percentages are always too high compared to, to what um what proper ownership percentages should be however in a slate like this where there should be an expectation of a, of high scores um however you have such sloppy quarterback play you have such um uh, potential for turnovers and just not converting in the red zone and um stalling out at the 30 and 40 yard line that you may have a game that ends like with a final score of like 17 to 10 and um, the kickers were, or let's say, let's call it 16 to 10, three field goals on one side, one on the other. And your kickers are actually relevant um, and not only relevant, but they outperform, you know, the Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel set there that um, if you want to go against what Vegas thinks is going to happen, um, this is a place to consider going, um, especially with these QBs who just have not looked like they're, they can get it done. Um, <clears throat> that's a way to go. Um, so moving down the list, then we have Dare Ogumbawale at 2,400. We already talked quite a bit about him. Um, and this this is where you know this is a good place with Dare to talk about uh, I, I said I'm considering going 100% on him this is a good place to talk about these high risk 100% plays why do I I start every single slate whether it's a Sunday main slate 
or a showdown slate or a two game slate. I start every single one thinking, where can I go a hundred percent? Um, where do I want to go a hundred percent? And, and what I'm trying to do is, um, let's say I go a hundred percent on a, a guy who's owned at like 3% on the Sunday main slate. I'm doing that because if I, I think that I think 3% ownership is far, far lower than what it should be. I see a lot of upside, but obviously this is a player that can still give you zero, can completely brick out in this slate. However, if you are correct, if you're correct on Dare here, if he's the second best performer in this game, or if you're correct on your um, Deshaun Jackson in the Sunday main slate last week, and he's a 8% player, I, I think he might have been less than that. Um, or actually, even better example, Marquise Brown from the from the Baltimore Ravens, who was a 0.8% owned in the Sunday main slate. If you just had a feeling and you went, or, or you had a, let's not call it a feeling, let's call it a good reason to gamble if if you knew 0.8% ownership was going to be where he was at and you said that's ridiculous i i see something different from this baltimore ravens offense against miami which in retrospect we all see something different um i see a guy who can produce uh you know go over 100 yards at a really low price and a really low ownership um, and I think reasonable ownership actually should be like 5%, but because the field isn't going anywhere near 5%, you can go a hundred percent on a guy. And now when you are correct, you are so much more, you're so far ahead of the field that you've, you, you've, and you've narrowed the field down by so much that you've put yourself in, in an immensely better position to actually win these things. So we're taking these high risk plays. We're taking we go 100% on Dare, even though he might produce 4.5 fantasy points and not even be close to relevant on this slate. Um, but we're taking him at four times or three times or five times the rate the rest of the field is taking him at. Because when we are correct, we've we've narrowed down our lineup decision making. Um, we only have to select five total players rather than six in this lineup. We so we've narrowed that down to a, a more reasonable number of uh, possibilities, and we've narrowed down the field by so much that actually can beat us. That um, we're even farther ahead. So yes, the risk the risk is still there. But in order to win these big these um, big slates, whether it's a large showdown slate or a, a Sunday slate, this is where we always want to consider going a hundred percent, even on high risk plays. Um, I call it getting narrow. I call it not gambling against yourself. Um, and and those are, I'm always looking, as I start every slate, that's what I'm looking for. So Dare is the guy I'm considering here. Um, then as we move down through the rest of the slate, um, there's really only one player I'm looking at, but we'll go through a few. Chris Hogan at 2000. Now, here here's the only one that I, he, he will wind up in my lineups. As I said, sometimes I stack around a core. So I'll build, I'll put five guys in and then I'll run through 10 players who can fit in there. Chris Hogan's sort of my bottom cutout cutoff this week at 2000. Usually I have guys in the $200, $600 range who I'm putting in there, but I can't find any this week. Now Hogan, I thought I played him a little bit last week in my cam stacks. Um, those didn't turn out too hot. Um, I thought he might get a little bit more work. I actually thought he might take the number three spot from Jarius Wright, but that is just clearly not the case. Hogan had five offensive snaps. He had one target, didn't catch it. Um, 
Maybe he gets a little bit more involved as the season goes on, but he he's never established himself in the league to this point. Um, so it it just seems like he's written out of the script. However, I think you can expect five to ten offensive snaps in this game, and um, what they're going to be looking to do with Chris Hogan is probably some sort of a uh, uh, long long shot down the sideline and if he can converts it then potentially this is a guy who can win you a uh, quarter million dollars today um so I'll have some of him but you're kind of throwing some money away here which is what we like to do um elsewhere on the list below Chris Hogan the only guys I'm really looking at Bobo Bobo Wilson for Tampa Bay was on the field that's all I can say um at 600 if you want a guy sometimes especially in defensive battles but which we don't consider this to be sometimes just a guy who's on a field on the field who can catch two balls or catch one ball in the end zone sometimes they become relevant I'm not going anywhere near that um, but at least you know he had some offensive snaps last game uh, Alex Arma uh, running back fullback for the Carolina Panthers this is a place where people might put some money he's at 400 his price is 400 and he put up 6.1 fantasy points against um, the LA Rams if you watch the game he ran it in from the one yard line after Christian McCaffrey did all the work to get him there um, and McCaffrey was what right behind him in the eye uh, they gave it to Armand. He went up over the top. I, you know, in showdown slates, you got to consider the fullbacks because 6.1 fantasy points is sometimes relevant in a showdown slate. But in this one, again, I'm predicting a different game script. I'm, I'm more leaning towards the Vegas ga- game script of a little bit higher scoring, which means I don't think, it, I don't even think if Armand gets another touchdown, he's relevant in this slate. So I'm staying away from it. Um, but don't don't forget about your fullbacks in showdown slates. They, uh, you want those guys. Just look back historically at guys who have scored touchdowns in past years, because or who catch passes. You know, everybody knows the Kyle Juskas of the world, and that they that they're good for three for four and a touch three receptions on four targets for a touchdown every once in a while. So those guys get played. But look at these other fullbacks and just look back and see. Who scored touchdowns in past years? Because, you know, the Patriots especially and some of these other teams, um, they'll toss a fullback in there and get you points, especially in a, in a you know, a nice low-scoring game. Um, and that 6.1 points can be relevant sometimes. That's how we, that's how we win a quarter million dollars. Um, the only other guy I would look at down here is Ray Ray McLeod for the Carolina Panthers. Um, I'm not planning on playing him, but... Um, even though it says he was on the field for zero offensive snaps in the game against the Rams, I think he actually was on the field for one. I think he got a target and maybe it was, maybe there was a penalty on the play or something, but I do remember him getting a target in this game, unless I'm just imagining that. However, he is the kick returner for Carolina. Um, and we look at these guys sometimes too, because again, a kick return for touchdown that six points there, and maybe you stack it with a defense, um, can sometimes be relevant in a showdown slate. Um, but for this slate, once again, I'm predicting a different game script, so I don't see the six points as potentially being relevant. If you remember back to last week for the Chicago Green Bay game, I was talking about all these guys and saying, oh, um, I forget who was down at the bottom there. Um, yeah, so-and-so could get three receptions for 30 yards and that could be relevant on this slate. And, and I think that was absolutely, uh, I mean, look at the final score, 10 to three, that was absolutely the case. 
this week, I, I'm not seeing that. I see a final score more uh, in the 50 or 60 total points overall. And I think that that leads to a lot of high fantasy producers that wash out the bottom here. So I'm cutting it off at Chris Hogan, and I don't even like going there. So before we move on to some live lineup building, let's just do a very brief recap of last week's major showdown slates. And the reason I do this is because I think we can draw some interesting insights to in how in lineup construction and what's winning these tournaments and um, just what we can do um, to be unique and, and to hit these big scores. Um, so we'll start with last week's Thursday night kickoff. There was a million dollar first pr- prize in this, um, and three people actually wound up sharing at the top for three hundred eighty three thousand dollars a piece. Um, and you. The takeaways here, um, the big key piece was um, was the Packers D. Um, they, the Packers D put up 14 points unexpectedly um, on this slate. They were about 15% owned, I believe. I believe. I'll have to pull that up. Um, so pretty low ownership. Um, the, the, winning, the winning lineups had Allen Robinson in the captain spot, which was the... Um, obvious and clear captain um he put up 20 DraftKings fantasy points uh the second fantasy point producer was the Packers D in fact at 14 um so Allen Robinson you you couldn't win without Allen Robinson in the captain spot and then it was just um Jimmy Graham Aaron Rodgers who put up a dismal 12.92 points but still snuck in because it was such a low scoring game Marcus Valdez Scantling at 9.2 points Tariq Cohen at 12.9 and like we said, the Packers D. Notably, Devontae Adams, 7.6 fantasy points. So um, the winning lineups here made a decision to fade Adams to play uh, Aaron Rodgers stacked with two pass catchers, Graham and Veldez Scantling, and then just taking a l- little pieces of the Chicago side of the ball, Allen Robinson and Tariq Cohen, which makes sense. Um, with the, the Packers D is the interesting part here. Pairing up your quarterback stack with the defense is what got, what got it done for, to the tune of $383,000 a piece. Um, so we had zero kickers appearing in the winning lineups. Um, Rodgers was owned at 55% in, against a tough Bears D. And, and that shows you um, some of the dead money or some of the novice money coming into this because what people realize after playing these showdown slates a few times is that actually the quarterbacks um, aren't necessarily going to be uh, the ones that win you these things. Um, and I think just Aaron Rodgers based on name alone and the fact that this was the first showdown slate so you have a lot of fresh money in it um, pushed his ownership percentage up a little bit. I don't think we're going to see anything like that ownership percentage in the current showdown slate, um, like I said, I think I think thirty to forty percent is more where we're at for Cam, uh, a little lower for Jameis. Um, so um, no kickers, one defense, one quarterback in the winning slate from that uh, last Thursday. Then we move on to the Sunday night slate. This was a nice, um, nice big slate with a two hundred thousand dollar first prize, and we had a solo winner of this tournament he ships it for 200k and uh, i believe seven players shared behind him for 
they shared second place for $3,700 a piece. So here is the perfect example of why we try to get unique, why we're trying to fade these chalky plays and these chalky narratives. Um, you'd have to, you, you could take that second place 50 times and you still haven't, um, you, you still haven't um, made as much money, hit for as much money as you did by taking first one time. So that's a really good example right there of why we play so chalky and why we take these high risk plays. So this is our guy. They be like J cream, which may or may not be offensive. I'm not sure. I hope I don't, didn't offend anybody with that. I don't know what that means, but congratulations to they be like J cream. Um, he ships it by putting Tom Brady in the captain spot. Uh, Brady was owned at 60%, 11% in the captain spot. And he he made a, I, I love this lineup. He makes a very sensible lineup where he, he says, Brady's my captain, therefore I need to spread it around amongst Patriots pass catchers. And how am I going to get a little bit unique? Well, he, he gives you the obvious plays of Julian Edelman. He takes Philip Dorsett, which was which was a, a very good play. Dorsett was actually the second highest performer on the slate at 25.5 points. And then he takes the the wonderful, nice play of taking the third running back on New England, an 8% owned Rex Burkhead um, at a salary of 3000 Burkhead's a pass catcher. We all know that. We've known that from past years, and we shouldn't have forgotten about him. So he's got three pass catchers on the Patriots with Tom Brady in the captain spot. He says... Brady and the Patriots are going to kick Pittsburgh's ass. So I'm going to put Goskowski out there to get a couple field goals and to get a bunch of extra points. Goskowski comes in for 16 points and he throws Juju in and um, Juju, even though Juju struck out a bit and put up 13.8 total fantasy points, it was good enough to, to ship the thing for 200 grand. So I love this lineup. I love what he did there. Being a little bit unique, uh, Brady in the captain spot is a little bit unique. Obviously, the Burkhead play is unique. And then he's got Goskowski on top of it. And it all just makes sense. The narrative is there. Patriots uh, uh, win win big, with led by Brady, against uh, the Steelers who struggle. I mean, it's, it's all there. So then we move on to the Monday night showdown. You got Denver at Oakland. And here's one where six players shared first place. It was going to be a hundred thousand first prize. Six players shared it at twenty nine thousand five hundred apiece. It's not a bad score. Um, and I don't think you could have done better than this lineup. So, you know, sometimes there's just the best lineup, and there's no avoiding that. It doesn't matter how unique you are. Notably, probably what I consider the best lineup in the tournament was a guy who took seventh place all on his own. He was 1.15 back, 1.15 points back from first place. He had Cortland Sutton in the captain spot and uh, the the six winners had jo- Josh Jacobs. If Cortland Sutton catches one more pass um, for a couple yards to end that game, then uh, this guy a hits Pat winds up being your winner for a cool hundred K. So I love his lineup and I feel you, buddy. That is a tough little way to be notched. All you, he went to bed thinking about that Cortland, some Cortland Sutton drop in that game. I can guarantee it. Um, so he takes home 2000 rather than a hundred K. And that is a rough way to go in this lineup. We had, uh, Josh Jacobs, Joe Flacco, Emmanuel Sander. I'm sorry, Josh Jacobs, uh, Tyrell Williams, Emmanuel Sanders, 
Cortland Sutton, Darren Waller, and the kicker for the Broncos, Dem, um, Brandon McManus. So you see in this lineup, we have uh, one kicker, no quarterbacks, and you have a um, you have uh, a bunch of pass catchers. Um, so this is an interesting lineup. You have you really have two um, pass catchers from each team, Tyrell Williams and Darren Waller for Oakland. You have Emmanuel Sanders and Cortland Sutton for Denver. And then you have running back Josh Jacobs in the captain spot um, and the kicker for the Broncos uh, rounding it all out. Um, and this is a really good illustration of why these quarterbacks don't necessarily um, – they, they, their ownership percentages oftentimes get too high in these tournaments um, because when they're leading their teams on, on drives and they're going like they're, they uh, push downfield for 60 yards and then, and then punt or kick a field goal. Um, they might've picked up two, two and a half points. Whereas their pass catchers might've picked up like, like um, you know, two pass catchers catch three for 30 yards. They picked up six points apiece. So they're out unless the quarterback's spreading it around or um, or the quarterback is throwing a lot of touchdowns or getting some yards on the ground, which Cam can do in this in this slate that we have tonight. Um, then we want to be considering fading the quarterbacks for their for the pass catchers who who are going to outperform them. So there's some different lineups, um, just some food for thought. Obviously, there's it's all everything's in play. This is football. It can go many different directions, but we want to build sensible narratives here. So let's finish out the episode by doing some live uh, lineup construction, uh, which I really enjoyed doing last Thursday. I think it was it was fun for me and helpful for me. Hope it was helpful for you. And I don't. All I did is put a couple concepts down in my on my paper here to go through. I haven't built any lineups yet, so we'll do this on the fly and see how it works out. Um, we're going to start with one um, where now at, <clears throat> before we start this, as I mentioned, this is this is an interesting slate because um, we don't have these two hundred dollar salary guys to throw in there and be and knowing that they're going to have like three and five percent ownership as a way to get unique. Um, we're very much clumped up in the middle. Um, the middle salaries here and we, we got lots of wide receivers clumped together. We got lots of running backs clumped together. Um, and the money's and because Christian McCaffrey is going to be so highly owned, 85, 90% owned, I believe. Um, I think that that's going to lead to, uh, lineups narrowing around similar concepts. And that's what we want to stay away from when we can't get out of it by grabbing these guys down in the $200 salary range. We want to stay away from these, predictable lineup construction so the first one i got down here is let's let's get a little bit unique in a different way let's play a game script or or a narrative that people don't like and we're gonna do it with two tight ends from the same team oj howard and cam Brait. so i'm gonna throw mccaffrey in the captain spot um he costs us eighteen thousand six hundred, leaving us thirty one thousand to go um, and we're going to, we're going to be, a, we're going to differentiate, differentiate ourselves from the field by doing a, a Tampa Bay tight end stack of OJ Howard for 6,600 cam break for 4,000 that leaves us three spots and 20,800 to go roughly 7,000 per player. 
Um, with a stack like this, obviously, uh, two pass catchers for Tampa Bay. I'm looking to to pair them up with Jameis Winston. Um, so I'll throw Jameis in here. We got 10,400 for my last two spots. Um, now let's just let's go to my guy, Dare. Um, I said I'm considering him at 100%. So let's see what this looks like with him in there. Um, we throw Dare in for 2,400. Leaves us 8,000 remaining. Um and we got one spot to go. Our current lineup is McCaffrey in the captain spot, doing work, scoring touchdowns, moving the chains. There, Cam is just doing the minimum that he he can do, and McCaffrey's carrying the load. And then we got uh, Tampa Bay playing from behind with O.J. Howard, Cam Bray, and Dare Ogumbawale catching passes from Jameis Winston. This all makes sense. This is a very reasonable narrative. And with 8,000 left... Um, it puts us at DJ Moore at the top end um, at exactly 8,000. And the moment you click this button on DJ Moore, you have to know that you just created a lineup that 50 other people created. It's just too obvious. I mean, even with the Tampa Bay tight end stack, okay, maybe that brings it down to 25 people created this this lineup. It's still, we're sharing. We're going we're gonna to share that first prize. And while I think this is a very reasonable lineup and I'm going to put it in, I don't want to share. So what I do in these situations is now I run it down. I could put DJ Moore in for 8,000. I'll do that once. But then I'm going to do it another lineup around the same core, and we'll put Curtis Samuel in for 7,000. Still going to be chalky. All right, we haven't done anything too much different than the field. We grab Greg Olson at 6,200 in our third lineup, and then we're going to keep running down the list. And as long as I can keep making lineups that make sense, I am going to keep putting them in. So Peyton Barber at 5,400. Okay, I mean, I I started this episode by by talking about how Peyton Barber might be low owned here, and this is a good way to differentiate. Um, Peyton, Peyton Barber can get some yards if if three pass catchers are be, are relevant for Tampa Bay in this game. That could put them into the red zone where Peyton Barber can get the job done. Um, same for Ronald Jones at five thousand. We'll keep moving down the list. That's five players that we have here. Now we get to Brashad Perriman, who I've already told you. I think might might be relevant and have lower ownership percentage the other thing is people don't like putting five tampa bay players three of them pass catchers one of them a pass catching running back on the same team or in the same in the same lineup because it just it they they think to themselves no i really need a carolina player in there so so perriman perriman's great here i i think I'm not sure that anybody else has this lineup if if we put Perriman in here. Jarius Wright, obviously that makes sense. You're leaving 3,600 on the table when you put Jarius Wright in here. So that's going to make us a little bit more unique. Now we can keep going down the list. Panthers at 4,200. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. The Panthers get out to a lead with their defense. They lean on Christian McCaffrey. Jameis plays catch-up with his two tight ends and his pass-catching running back. And so there's a lineup that definitely makes sense. We can put it in, but even though we left 3,800 on the table, this is one where I think people actually look at this and they may take the Panthers over Jarius Wright. So we might be a little less unique, but we're still going to play it. Um, now we look down the list, we, we could potentially play Ian Thomas here for, as I, as I said, maybe Olsen walks off the field uh, after the first, first series and says, I'm done. Um, and Ian Thomas is in and catches a touchdown. Okay, we could see that happening. Yes, it feels a little bit like throwing money away, but as we sort of pointed out with that Sunday night slate where the guy won two hundred grand, it's not throwing money away when you hit. 
it's not when you're in and when you're the only one who has that lineup so ian thomas is a great way to differentiate when i'm playing like i i believe i mentioned earlier i'll put as many i'll i'll put probably close to 200 lineups in this slate between the one dollar the three dollar the ten dollar and then a few other single single entry tournaments and some three entry tournaments um we'll have 200 shots to win here so having a couple of ian thomas lineups makes sense now if you're just playing 10 lineups i wouldn't necessarily play ian thomas um there's other ways to get unique that have uh less risk attached but that's up to you um then we go down to we could put the bucks in here i don't know it doesn't make a ton of sense but sometimes crazy things happen you get kick return touchdowns you get um you get, uh, you know, maybe the Bucks pick Jameis a bunch of times and put, um, or I'm sorry, Cam a bunch of times and put Jameis in short fields where he hits the tight ends for touchdowns. So, yeah, I'm going to play him. I'm going to play the two kickers, Joey Sly and Matt Gay. And like I said, I'll end it. My, the bottom end of my rundown here is Chris Hogan at 2,000. And that, that, of course, makes sense. Chris Hogan just catches one ball for 30 and a touchdown. And he is one of the top six producers on this slate. Um, so there's a way, there's a little core there that we put together. And we ran down through uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, uh, I believe 12, 12 uh, versions of that core with McCaffrey at the top, the two tight ends, Jameis and Dare. Um, and, and that's a nice way where if you got your stack right, if you got your core right, you can't lose. If you got if you got the top five right, you can't lose because you have every other option. I mean, I say that and knock on wood, Alex Armaugh will run in uh, a, another one from the one yard line, um, and that'll be the one lineup I don't have. Um, so, so there's something that we could look at. Um, let's do another one. Let's let's switch things up a little bit. And even though I said I'm considering Christian McCaffrey at 100 percent in the captain spot in order to be in order to differentiate from a field that might only have him in the captain spot 40% or 50%, um, let's just see what it looks like with Dare in the in the captain spot, um, just so we can get a feel for how much money you have left over when you use somebody who has such a low salary. Um, so we throw Dare in the captain spot. We throw Christian McCaffrey in because that's, I mean, I just find it impossible to fade him against Tampa Bay. Um, and then what can you do? Um, let's say we, now, now we look at this, we have Daria in the captain spot, Christian McCaffrey. This is not, we've not differentiated ourselves. There's a lot of people who are going to put this in for exactly the reason we want to put it in, which is to get access to the pass catchers, Evans, Goodwin, Godwin, DJ Moore, and Curtis Samuel paired up with one of the quarterbacks. Um, so everybody's trying to do the exact same thing. If I just click Jameis, Evans and Godwin here that leaves us with 5,400. So you can put in Peyton Barber, Ronald Jones, Brashad Perriman, Jarius Wright. You can keep running down through the D's and the kickers. Those lineups will be shared with so many people. I don't really have much desire to put those lineups in. I don't care if they win. I, I, I just, I don't want to share with a hundred people. So that's not a, that's not a direction I'm necessarily going. Um, Maybe what we need to do is try to get unique a different way. We can uh, we can play two Tampa Bay running backs, for example, including the one that no one wants to play, Peyton Barber. So let's see. We throw in Peyton Barber, 
And um, where else do I like to look uh, to get unique here? Um, you know, Cam Cam Bray is is my guy. Um, the second tight end for for Jameis, who may outperform the top tight end for Jameis, um, just based on just based on touchdowns or based on based on how many times uh, Jameis looks his way panics and looks cam Brate's way his safety blanket so now i have um now i have a couple of tampa bay pass catchers i have christian mccaffrey let's throw Jameis in there oh boy this is interesting so this if we throw Jameis in there it leaves us with fourteen thousand two hundred for one slot so that gives you access to every single player on the board um i don't love how this looks necessarily but that can be good <laughs> um we can we can decide is this a direction we want to go where we can leave um you know even if i put cam newton the most expensive player remaining on the board at eleven thousand, i'm still leaving 3200 on the table people aren't really comfortable doing with that um i could potentially run down through like let's say from cam through mike evans goodwin godwin godwin i'm sorry i got marquise goodwin on the brain i drafted him so many times in best balls at the end of the year um, his one catch on Sunday is not exciting me too much, but Godwin, Mike Evans, Godwin, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, OJ Howard, all these are, all these are in play here. And it's a good way to get unique because people don't want to leave that six, seven, 8,000 on the table that you have to, um, to get some of those guys. Now, would I do this lineup and throw in like, um, uh, let's see, like, uh, Chris Hogan. no. Not not necessarily because I don't I don't think I mean Chris Hogan's not going to outperform Cam Newton and Mike Evans and Godwin and DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. Um, I don't see that happening necessarily unless you you're predicting this weird defensive turnover filled battle. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so maybe this maybe this isn't the route we go. Maybe we do something different. Let's try to get unique a different way. Let's go with, um, well, let's grab these pass catchers that we think are going to be low owned. Brashad Perryman and Jarius Wright. Let's see what it looks like here. Okay, so now we got, um, we have two pass catching running backs and two th- wide receiver threes from each team, which, which, which we can pair up with the quarterback from each team. And if this is some sort of weird, weird, shootout or semi shootout where cam also runs in a touchdown now we have a super unique lineup here in and we only left 3600 on the table so like yes you can you can go through this and you could run down the whole stack you could take out like um um Prashad Perryman and you could run down through DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel and OJ Howard um so this is this is a way to go here too um, I think <clears throat> one of the things that we're going to find as we build these, um, is that we're naturally going to get pushed into these position where, where all the chalk is going to go. Everybody's going to be doing the same things because of Christian McCaffrey. Um, and so we need to, uh, think outside the box with, with regards to him. And maybe that means doing things like two Tampa Bay running backs or three Tampa Bay running backs or, um, or setting up stacks that just don't make as much sense, especially with Cam uh, having extreme running ability and Jameis having a little bit of running ability. Um, 
that maybe we can set up some interesting naked cam stacks where we play cam without a pass catcher except McCaffrey. Um, and, and that's a way to get unique because people don't like to put a quarterback in a showdown slate without at least one of his wide receivers or tight ends. Um, so you can, you can look that route. Um, and like I mentioned, you can also look the route of the defenses and kickers even though I think the ownership percentages tend to go too high on those, this is a high over-under game. It might be a little bit depressed because of that. Um, so, so, and I would I would probably lean towards the kickers more than the defenses because everybody saw how bad Cam and Jameis played last week. They're going to go to the defenses, so I think that ownership's going to be higher, and maybe the kickers are a little bit lower. And it, you just don't have to play the kickers necessarily you can afford when you're using guys like Dare and Jarius Wright and Brashad Perriman you can afford to um, pay up for the big wide receivers so the kickers might actually have um, a little bit more relevance here and a little bit lower ownership than they sometimes do so there's our thoughts on the Thursday night showdown slate I hope that helps you I wish you all the best of luck if I don't win the $250,000 first place, then I hope one of you does. Um, But that's all for today. We'll be back on Saturday with a breakdown of the Sunday slate. Good luck to everybody. Enjoy your gambling.